So over the years, I'm sure you are, are, are similar. Anne has had some uh, favorite meals that she has prepared. She has her go-to favorites. You know, when the family are coming or visitors are coming, your wife pulls out that old winner recipe. And over the years, Anne has had some real winners. Uh, the kids dubbed one of them nice rice. Mommy, are we having nice rice tonight? I don't know what nice rice was, but uh, it was nice. <clears throat> My favorite is spaghetti bolognese. Oh, yo, yo, barbecue chicken. Anne hasn't pulled that one out the bag for quite a long time. And uh, I think in a similar way, over the years, I've, I've had my go-to book of the Bible. As I look back in my quiet times uh, and the record, the journals of my quiet times, because uh, they're, all, they're all sort of chronologically or book, book uh, ordered so I can tell, my go-to quiet time study book is First Timothy. I seem to have loved that. That's my go-to favorite for quiet times. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to First Timothy. Now, if you're new to the Bible, don't worry. Just look for Second Timothy. <laughs> and then go back a page or two. We are so glad we've got our, our, our holiday makers are coming in. And I see some. Uh, it's just before Hebrews. That's a good hint. If you find Hebrews, Timothy, thanks. Uh, it's just, just there. One Timothy. So I, I, I realized that it was about time I did a series in One Timothy. And, and in fact, I started last Sunday night, uh, and I started in One Timothy chapter 1, and I looked at verses 1 and 2. And uh, we looked at who we are and what we're sent to do as, uh, through the eyes of Paul. We looked at Timothy and, and who his, our real parents are, our faith parents, and our, uh, the influences in our lives. We, we looked at our three inherited traits as Christians, and if you've got your Bible open to First Timothy, you'll see it's there. It, it's mercy and grace and peace, and those should be characteristic of all of us. And we saw finally on Sunday night who Jesus is, really, fully man and fully God, and it's all there in, in uh, First Timothy and the first uh, two verses of chapter 1. Now, you might ask, why do we study letters? Why is it important to immerse ourselves in, in a book like 1 Timothy? So short a letter written specifically to a young man by Paul, an older apostle. And William Hendrickson says this, These letters and, and others like them tell us about church administration. I'm a pastor. I need to know about how churches should work. They, not only that, they stress the importance of sound doctrine. We can have church, but if we, if we get off course, if we start emphasizing and going on the wrong, on the wrong thing, it's, it's not good. They, they demand these letters, consecrated living, that is right living. We can't call ourselves Christians and live by some other standard. These letters accurately portray Paul's life and the history of the early church, that first century church. And most importantly, through them, God speaks to us today as well. God, by His Spirit, takes the Word of God and applies it to our lives and our circumstances. And you're going to be aware of that today, I'm sure. Uh, why? That's why we are here. And so I want, to, uh, I want you to look with me on the screen, The Voyage of Eternal Life. And we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 20 in a second. Eternal life is not a destination. We're not heading towards eternal life. The Bible says quite clearly, we're in the, the journey. We're in eternal life. 
already. Now, we're going to listen to the message and look on the screen as we always do in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 20. But you're also going to watch as an artist, and I'm going to invite Kendall to come. Kendall is, uh, is, uh, has very kindly agreed to help me this morning. And don't let it be a distraction, but she is going to be uh, painting. Uh, our emblem is the sailing ship. We're going to be looking at eternal life and the journey that we're on in this passage of Scripture. The talks in the end, you'll see there about a shipwrecked faith. We're going to be looking at, at, at a, through the eyes of Vasco da Gama in the, in the late 1400s and the voyages of discovery. Uh, we're going to look at the church. This is our ship. The church and our captain is Jesus Christ. And at the helm, uh, uh, at the helm is in this story uh, of the church in Ephesus, is a young man called Timothy. And we're also heading out into, like Vasco da Gama, uncharted seas and, and open oceans. If you like, the ship is the church called the people of the way in Ephesus. So let's read in our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verses 3 to verse 20. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you, can, you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know uh, what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and for rebels, for ungodly and unsinful, for unholy and irreligious for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. Now we go into the section entitled The Lord's Grace to Paul. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointed me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on, uh, uh, on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have so shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hermanus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So we're going on this voyage this morning with Timothy at the helm, as it were. Uh, we are on a, a sailing mission for the master, 
We're discovering new worlds and, and lost treasure. And the first picture is, is going to be of, of us heading out from harbor, if you like. Uh, and, and of course, dangers aplenty await us on the journey. But, but let's get our ship launched, shall we? First of all, I want to show you what this outline of the passage of Scripture looks like before we get into the, the four pictures that, uh, that Kendall is beginning on the first one already. Uh, the Pauline chiasm that I'm referring to is a, a type of literary structure that Paul loves to write with, where, where the first and the last point are related A and D, and in the middle B and C are related, and they form this chiastic shape like this, a chiasm. Have a look at the screen for a second, and you'll see verses 3 to 7, Timothy's leadership and certain men in Ephesus is what Paul is talking about there in verses 3 to 7. But that's related to the end of the passage, and that's why I read those verses right at the end. You might think they're un, unrelated, but verse 18 onwards is related to that. Timothy is good, his good fight. Uh, Timothy, you need a struggle, and I'm going to help you in your struggle against these certain men, Hermanus and, and Alexander, who seem to epitomize or to have gone a step too far. But in the middle is verses 8 to 11. If you like that section B, uh, the good law for bad men. The law is written for bad people. And versus the glorious gospel. Which one do we want to emphasize today? Which one do we want to uphold in the church? The glorious gospel or the old law? It was good, but it was for bad men. And then finally, that's related in the end to Paul's testimony as an example of the glorious gospel transforming life and changing him. And so these, you'll see, let's see if those X shapes come into the screen. Let's see if there's one more push. No, it doesn't. Those two in the original uh, drawing I did were connected with that chi shape. So let's go back to, to the setting sail. And you can see there's the ship of our faith, uh, like Vasco da Gama's ship. And, and uh, uh, can you believe that they sailed oceans in those vessels uh, all those years ago? The first, the first thing to know is that there are dangers aplenty out there on the open sea. We, we head out from harbor with, with such hope and with such excitement and waving goodbye to our family and, and friends. And, and when I was a kid, even the journey from Cape Town to, to Southampton on the boat took us two weeks. We were at sea for between 10 days and two weeks. Anybody do that trip uh, from Cape Town to Southampton? Do you remember that? Those were days, eh? Now, can you imagine how long this trip took from, uh, from Portugal and, and uh, what was the other place? Portugal and Spain. Uh, they divided the world in half, in actual fact, and they said, you guys go to the east, we'll go to the west. That's how they settled things in those days. You know, sometimes, though, Paul wants us to know, in avoiding sandbanks and riptides and, uh, and the doldrums, the dangers that there are for our ship that is, we are so excited about launching out into the ocean. But, but the three dangers are false doctrine and controversy and legalism. And I want you to look at verse 3 to start with there. Uh, verse 3 says um, there, there, are, there, there are people in, in Ephesus uh, and they, they are teaching false doctrines. Already within the, the early stages of the church, there were men who were teaching false doctrines, that Christ had, had not been raised from the dead, that the resurrection, if you like, the second coming had already happened and so on, that Jesus wasn't fully God. And sometimes it's the people who know the law the best who they break it the, the most. 
Wouldn't you say that's true, our lawyer in, in the church? I wonder how many times it's people, they know, they know the law. In fact, I, I, I wanted to Google and I never got around to it, but I bet you if you Googled, what's the most common law degree studied in, by prison inmates? I bet you it's law. You see, it's, the, the law is for bad men. It's to show them how to break the law better and how to get out of it when they break the law. And, uh, and, and uh, that's true often of, of prison inmates. The, the, it's true sometimes in the church that it's the people who theoretically know the way of God and the path of righteousness that are, are sometimes uh, the lawbreakers. The greatest risk to this sailing ship that is heading out of the harbor now uh, is, not, is not the risk of outside piracy, but of internal mutiny. We can see that very clearly from all the epistles here. Paul warns a young Timothy about those who see themselves not as lawbreakers saved by grace, but as law keepers employed to ferret out any undue expression of grace in the church. Now, can I say that again? Because it's true. We should see ourselves as lawbreakers saved by grace, not as the law keepers, the, the referees in the church who, who ferret out any unworthy expression of grace. Paul said in verse 4, they devote themselves to this. Never underestimate their energy or their knowledge, their study capacity, their false teaching and endless controversies. And then their righteous vigor, <clears throat> they actually steer the ship onto sandbanks and into the doldrums. <clears throat> Paul warns Timothy, just be careful about men and women who secretly crave authority and respect in verse 7 they want to be teachers themselves and so they begin to undermine the rest of the authority of deacons and elders in the church just a quick word of caution before we throw guys like Hermanus and alexander and others to the wolves or you know, in using our analogy and before we just chuck them overboard and put them in a life raft and, and set them adrift, <clears throat> let's check our own hearts. Because verse 5 says, we, we mustn't spend all of our time and energy trying to ferret out uh, the, these kind of issues. Um, they, the, these things distract us. And they detract from the main focus, which is verse 11, the glorious gospel that has been entrusted to us. So verse 5 says, test your heart. Make sure the goal of your, your question is love. Can you be sure that your own motives are pure and untainted? Does your own conscience stand up to potential scrutiny? And that, that's good advice for all of us who would seek to, to correct and guide others. So instead of being stuck on the doldrums here, you can see that second ship that, uh, that Kendall is painting there. The sails are down. The, the anchor is out. And uh, they, they've gone on, along on the beach. They put up the umbrella. They're having their Mai Tais and their cocktails and whatever else. Um, they, they, they have lost sight of, of where they're going to be. And they don't realize that their, their ship is actually sitting on, on a bit of a sandbank. And that, that's, that's what we want to avoid. Let's instead put up the full sails. Let's get going. Let's just, you know, those sailing ships when there was a little wind, they'd, you know, but when, when they wanted a really motor and the winds were perfect, they would let out the foresail and the topsails and the backsails, and it was a beautiful sight. And what Paul does next is he 
he shows us what a church in full sail power looks like. And he shares his own life story, his faith story, his own personal testimony. And I want us to look at verses 12 to 17 now, because you know what it is about your faith story? It's personal, it's real, it's given face to face. And although people can ignore it and dispute it and question it, they can't deny it. They can't, they can't just say it's not true because it's you, it's their friend talking. And so it goes into the record, the personal testimony. Now, if you're having a look at the bulletin, you'll see, secondly, the second point here is raising up the full sail power of our personal testimony. But the three points that follow are different to what's in the bulletin. And I'd like to apologize for that. That's my error because I just, I just read it quickly and didn't realize that actually the text is quite different. There are many ways to do your testimony. This is another fresh and new way to do your testimony. I want you to notice that first of all, if we start with our thankfulness to God for who and what I am, I'm just, if you've got a smile on your face and you walk around the village of unhappiness and you just say, and they, people say, well, why are you happy? There's no power. I'm happy. We've got power. Okay, stop bragging now. <clears throat> They've got generators there. I'm, I'm thankful to God for who I am and for what he's done in my life. And you look at verse 12. He's given us strength. He's considered us faithful, if you like, worthy of something. And he's, we, we are even useful to God. I'm, I'm really thankful about that. And I might be ill. I might be, I might be aging. I might have a twisted ankle. I might have a bad back. I might have uh, shingles. But you know what? I'm thankful to God. And, and that should show in our lives. And people should, should, should want that. How many of us are Christians and people look at our faces and say, boy, they're not thankful for anything. I don't want what they got because it's obviously not working for them. You know, secondly, uh, what kind of a person I used to be? Because Paul says here, I'm, I'm thankful uh, to God, but, but he's appointed me, verse 13, though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Tell people, I, I, didn't always, I wasn't always this way. I was actually quite a negative person. I was a doubter. I was a grumbler. I was a fearful person. I was self-centered, self-seeking. It was all about money for me. Whatever's true for you, what your life used to be. And then thirdly, you come on to what happened and how Christ has changed your life. How Christ changed my life. Look at the second part of verse 13. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. There is the gospel right there in that verse. Do you know what? I, I didn't deserve this, but what Jesus gave to me was mercy. I deserved punishment, but I was given mercy. I was pardoned. Do you know what? I didn't have anything of myself. I hadn't worked for it or earned it, but God lavished grace on me. He gave me this faith that, that it takes to believe. That's even a gift from God. God gave me faith, and you know what? Where before I felt unloved, now I'm loved. I'm loved by God. I'm loved by the family of God. Don't you want this kind of of mercy and grace and, and faith and love in, in your own life. <clears throat> when a church is filled with people like that, can you see the sails are full-blown there? They, the, the, that, that's the Vasco da Gama, by the way, emblem, the cross. 
that, that's true to his ship. It was slightly different, but, but that's true. Um, when, when, when we're a body full of people who've got a smile on our face, we're thankful to God. We know what we were, and we know what Christ has done in our lives. And when we're telling people, someone told me this morning, I brought my wife, and someone else told me this morning, I met someone who was selling a house, and I said, where do you go to church? And they said, nowhere we're looking for. I said, I'm bringing them next week because we've got a testimony. It's like a church with full sail. It's irresistible. <clears throat> and so finally we come today to verses 18 to 20. <clears throat> and we return to this tragic end of the voyage for those who were determined to shipwreck their faith. It might be interesting and tempting to pursue the rabbits in the text today. And boy, there's some great rabbits at the end of, verse, uh, of, chapter, of chapter 1. For example, what does it mean to be handed over to Satan? If someone shipwrecks their faith, does that mean they swim to shore or do they drown? What, what, what does it mean to be taught not to blaspheme? So these are all rabbits that we could go chasing, and those would be some of the, the interesting controversies. We could argue about this and argue about whether you can lose your faith and argue about blasphemy and, and all these issues. And Paul has said, no, don't do that, Chris, not this morning. Don't chase those rabbits. Stick with the main thing today. And I want to do just that. Finishing without shipwrecked faith. Verses 18 to 20, and, and Kendall is now going to be drawing tragically. Not, not a ship heading out on, on a bearing <clears throat> with full of excitement, but stuck now in the doldrums and the sandbanks and the riptides. But, but not a ship at full sail that was sharing the gospel and excited about their faith, but sadly now is run aground on the rocks. I was struck by the fact that a genuine believer, verse 19, could reject these. Have a look at verse 19. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, some have rejected these. And the challenge in my quiet time was, Chris, could this ever happen to you? And Rex Matthew once said to my brother Brian, the fool says, this will never happen to me. And so we need to look at this and say, I, 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 referring to faith and a good conscience, I don't want to reject those. I don't want to shipwreck my faith. And here are three voyage safeguards, if you like. And, and we're going with the voyage here. Stay on course, verse 18. Stay in the race, verse 19. And, and stay out of Satan's storms, verses 19 and 20. Several times and places in Scripture, Paul makes reference to an event at the beginning of Timothy's life and faith journey. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 14, he explicitly says this, Do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And he mentions it again here in verse 18. And here's the point of that reference. Paul is saying to Timothy, Remember what the bearing was when you headed out from harbor. What were the prophecies made when the, when the elders laid hands on you? What, what was said about the direction of your life? What did your mom used to say about you? What was prayed about you when you were dedicated as a young believer? Uh, parents, we remember these things. What were the things that were said of our children? What has God said to our kids? Now go back to those, Timothy, and remember that bearing. Stay on course, align yourselves with what was said of the past about what your life purpose and journey would be and what was confirmed to you by the Spirit of God. 
but stay in the race as well. Paul uses the, the fight analogy. He loves the fight. Stay in the fight. We're staying with the sail. It's stay in the race. You may feel like you've got behind, that you've been in the doldrums for the while, and Satan would come to you and he'd say, don't bother about joining the race again. Just stay where you are. You've, you've messed up so badly and so frequently and so often. You're not even going to cross the finish line. And I want you to know today the message for all of us is stay in the race. Stay on course. And like, like a boxer who is behind on points in every round, just hang in there and go for the knockout punch. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just wait. It could happen. And finally, stay out of Satan's storms. Wow. Satan takes notice of your progress and mine. And he will try to intercept and maroon your ship of faith. He will try to distract you and detain you. If you take, and if I take my eye off the prize, he'll steer our, steer our ship onto the rocks. And then the tragedy will be great. Wow. You want to do Nelson? This, you might think, is Nelson the seagull. But I want you to know it really is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. He will never leave us. He will fly and guide and counsel. And maybe today that person of the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. And you've got a little bit off track. You've got yourself in the doldrums of faith. And you need to come back. And you need to pray and you need to say, Lord, get me off the sandbank. Get me back to full strength, faith in Christ. And today this can be your story. How's your voyage of faith going? Are you just starting out? Are you enjoying a full sail burst of speed? Are you in the doldrums? Have you let yourself get far off track? If you have one moonless night you'll run aground. <laughs> that is so beautiful. Um, don't show the next slide, guys. That's fine. You can turn the computer off. But let me read this tragedy of the Grosvenor. In March 1782, the East Indiaman sailing ship, the Grosvenor, belonging to the British East India Company, captained by John Coxon, sailed from Madras, India, carrying both passengers and valuable cargo down for England. 150 men and women and children were on board. And due to its late departure from India, the Grosvenor sailed alone. The voyage was rough and plagued by storms. Captain Coxton was in command on the night of the 3rd of August. The chief mate and ship's navigator, Alexander Logie, was ill and was not at his post. At 1 a.m. on the 4th of August, the lookout crew called the warning. Breakers could be heard and lights were seen. But the captain, relying on his charts, believed that they were approximately 
450 kilometers away from the land. However, due to miscalculation in the charts, the light seen were grass fires burning on the hills of the coastal areas of Pondo land, South Africa. At 4.30, the Grosvenor was swept up in a current and smashed against the rocks off Lambassi Bay. 17 passengers and 91 crew members survived this initial ordeal. Captain John Coxton declared that they should press south towards the Cape, believing it was only 400 kilometers away. Another dangerous miscalculation. Only six people survived the trek to Port Elizabeth. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close. Holy Spirit of God, precious dove of the Holy Spirit, ever present, ever watchful, guide us, speak to our hearts today, reveal to us each one where we are in this journey. Just beginning full of hope, marooned and bedraggled and sails down, are we going full steam, Lord, and is there danger ahead? Are there rocks ahead that we are somehow ignorant of? Lord, Spirit of God, speak to us. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Part of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verse 13, that says, Our Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In your heart, say that again, our Father in heaven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For your glorious gospel's sake, amen. I want to invite you to come back tonight. Uh, I want to give you an appetizer. We're continuing in the series in 1 Timothy. And I'm going to be asking the question, men, should we be praying more expressively? And ladies, should you be dressing less expensively? Come back tonight and we'll see as the first church and the 21st church collides. God bless. Won't you stay for tea and coffee?